<laughs> Welcome to Side Talks. Ah. What? Ah. <laughs> you know what that is? No. That's me doing a vocal warm up. Oh my God. Okay. I once in the 90s watched Christina Aguilera documentary, quote unquote documentary. It was an MTV documentary. Sure, sure. And half of it is just her walking through hotel hallways going, ah. And then like, somebody get me a tea with lemon. I, I live, as you know, with a professional vocalist. Yes, and just Kathleen walk singer. around and go, ah. Not as such, no. Um, <laughs> she does have vocal exercises uh, that she performs from time to time to warm up. Um, they don't strange quite you couldn't sound tell, like that. Yeah, strange you didn't know exactly what I was doing then. Yeah, it is, it is uh, <laughs> real weird that I couldn't pick that out from what you were doing. Oh, this is a podcast. I've warmed my voice up for it. <laughs> now, that's, that's more like it. That's more like it. Uh, let's talk about something other than me singing. Let's talk about movies. Okay. I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm Corey Kraft. This is Side Talks. What's this shit? Now that, you know why that's I why had you had that to warm up. little vocal exercise. Yep. Okay. Are you ready? I'm just going to describe a film. You don't even know where I am in it. You don't know what film I'm talking about. You're going to try to guess it. I'm looking at the White House. Okay. Okay. And then, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Um... It's being intercut with, oh, oh, let me stop there. Let me stop there. Okay. Let me pause. That is a scene in this film, uh-huh. but I got bored and I moved to a different scene. Oh, my God. What? So, so you, you, the you saw the White House, house and the, you were the like, white boring. House is in this, film. this White House is in this film and there's some signs and some, you know, uh, protesting. Okay. The white house. okay. All right. Um, but the scene that I really focused on was a young woman listening to the Pixies okay. on, her, on some earbuds, the Pixies. Um, looking at pictures on her computer. Okay. Um, of wolves and shit. Wolves and shit. Wolves and shit. It looks like maybe a camping trip. It looks like maybe she's dad sad. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, so then, yeah, there's an email to dad. I don't know if it's – she's sad about dad, so I don't know what's going on with dad. Maybe he's RIP. Maybe he's in some other city. Okay. But um, then there's smoke in the room. The smoke kind of goes off, and there's a – she rushes to yank her ear. And she's probably high school is my guess, right? Okay. And she rushes over and is – you know, it looks like maybe saving some bacon from the – from a, it created a fire. There's some smoke and whatnot in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Do you know what this is? It sounds really familiar, but no. Okay. Interesting that, that you wouldn't know just yet because this would be not indicative of what this film is. Mm-hmm. So I will, t- I will describe another scene. Okay, though. okay. Um, it on the screen says San Francisco 2014, and there's a bunch of fire and bullshit in the background, hmm. and there is, uh, I mean everything's on fire, like the entire city's on fire, and there's a man screaming, Andrew, 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 Andrew. Do you know what this is? No. Oh wow. 2014. I definitely. This is a recent film. Let me give you. This some is more. a recent film. Give you some more. I just want. Can everybody make note of how long it's taking? Is it? For? Is it a? Is it a comedy? An action film? It's, a, um, it's definitely an uh, action adventure. I am going to tell you who the young woman yeah, is, I and mean, you're you going to guess it. Okay. okay. Um, but it is taking me to do this because as soon as I say it, you're going to guess it. Okay. Um, am I right, Millie Bobby Brown? Oh, this is Drake. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, or is it Godzilla v-, v Kong? Is it? I believe it's Godzilla v Kong. Um. Now I could be wrong about that, and maybe we have to come back with a retraction. But that's what I looked up. Now sometimes the internet will mislead. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, yeah. Uh, San Francisco. 
2014. That's a flashback to the events of the first Godzilla. Yeah, and keep in mind, I'm ro- I'm rolling around in this. I I do thing. think this is this is the second one. I do think okay. this is King of the Monsters, which introduces the Millie Bobby Brown character. Her dad's not dead. Her dad is Kyle Chandler, who is right. a giant monster scientist who is investigating. Okay, so the um, email isn't Godzilla. like an email going to Edward. It's an email, you know, that that may or may not be getting the right. email. It's an email going to actual dad. Yeah, and her mom is Vera Farmiga, who has all kinds of like, um, I don't know, dubious uh, monster-related plotting going on in that movie. I don't really remember that movie very well. Uh, I did see it, though, and I thought it was pretty good. I mean, as we talked about on a recent episode when you brought up Kong Skull Island, um, I like these movies. Um, oh, boy. I'll let Adam Winger know. Yeah. Um, I Hey, yeah, we could hang out. Sure, That'd right? Be fun. Yeah. Be fun. Talk talk about Godzilla, my that, friend Godzilla. Let him know that his film was mentioned on What's the Shit. Um and I I dig it. I really do. I mean, look, here's the thing. I think my good friend Godzilla and my good friend Kong could get along if I just helped them iron out their differences. Uh they've got more in common than hey, not. Stranger things have happened. Hey, Stranger Things. That's Millie Bobby Brown's See show. See what I did ha, there? Ha, ha, See puns, what I did there? Wordplay. We're doing it. Oh, We're doing it here on Side Talks. That is enough of the segment. You got it. I'm just going to call it. You got it wrong. Oh, I well, mean, no, I didn't. Is that fair? How much talking did I have to do before Corey got it? He had to know the star's name, and we still don't even know of which one it is. Anyway, you got it. Uh, you got half right. Let's call it half right. I think Let's we should call it half right and move mm, on. Okay. Well, I disagree with how we're Whatever. keeping score here, but fine. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Hey, Corey, what, hey. Are, you, what are you watching right now? Well, what have you been looking at? Let's see. Um, I saw uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, oh. the much maligned new uh, musical adaptation of the and Tony Award-winning hu- play. What's the hubbub here? The actor is how old? He's 27. He looks older He somehow. looks older than 27. Yeah. he's He's not... A teenager, but he's also not in his middle age as he appears to be. He's not like Stalker Channing in Greece. No, who he's was in younger, her mid thirties playing yeah, high school. Totally. Um, everybody in Greece is far older right. than they should be, and um, we all bought it. We all bought it there. We we collectively decided not to buy it with Dear Evan Hansen. Look, the movie has some issues. Um, critics have kind of torn this one to pieces. And ultimately, I agree that it's not a successful movie, but I think that the hostility is somewhat overstated. I think that people kind of sensed blood in the water with this thing, and they kind of went after it and tore it to pieces needlessly. I do take issue with that runtime. Oh, it's way too long. It's way too long, and it's even significantly abridged from the original stage show. Um, But it is way too long. The lead performance from Ben Platt, you know, age aside – it's not great. He's kind of ticky in that theatrical way that, you know, will play if you've got an audience, yeah. you know, sitting in the back row, but doesn't right. play when you're being captured in close up. But his vocal right. performance is lovely. The songs are nice. Ultimately, do you know the, do you know the plot of this thing? I know a little bit. I, I program at the cinema. Yeah. Um, we did really well within the Heights, and I'm playing around a little bit with, you know, is is it because these are musicals? Do we have a do we have a, a, a customer base that are really into musicals and they'll come out and see these with us? I unfortunately, by doing this, have missed the opportunity to program Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I think would have been a better choice. Oh, well. But the timing aligned as such. Um, but I know, I know from you know just basically from the synopsis. But but let everybody know in case they aren't aware. I mean, it's it's a, it's a musical kind of a farce 
a serious kind of farce, um, not not really comic, um, about teen suicide. Evan Hansen is a always the funny way to you know well, always right. a funny thing to look at teen suicide. Um, Evan Hansen is an anxious, um, lonely high schooler with no friends um, who is writing a letter to his therapist. Uh, another uh, lonely, um, kind of mean, bullied kid uh, seizes this letter from the printer. Um, mishaps ensue. Uh, the kid takes the letter home and unbeknownst to Evan goes home and takes his own life. Uh, the parents find this letter that Evan wrote to himself and believe that their son was friends with Evan. Um, and Evan, um, wanting to fit in with this family and, um, having a romantic interest in this kid's younger sister, uh, plays along with this misconception uh, so the family believes Eek. that um, Evan was was friends with their deceased son, and soon the whole school and town does too. And in the classic sort of farcical style, he finds himself in an ever-expanding series of lies that get rapidly out of hand. It's not played for comedy, though, not even dark comedy. It's kind of played um, – Without much irony, as as a bit of an uplifting story about Yikes. the possibility of um, people finding you and seeing you for who you are, uh, even though the main character here is found and seen through a pretty repellent um, series of lies. Yeah, I mean, it's just – look, I haven't seen this thing. Sounds like we have some tonal issues. There are some tonal issues. Um I, I do think that it is an earnest attempt to speak to uh, the anxieties that teenagers face um, and the ways that they act out when they're under pressure. Sure, but um, this seems like a misguided attempt. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, it you know, at least in the way that it's been translated from stage to screen, um, because it is translated without that much irony. Um, and without any sort of sense of the the gravity of what this character is doing, um, right. I, I don't know. This leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, and and critics and a lot of audiences have yeah. responded the same way you sure, have. Like, sure, wait, sure. this is what this fucking thing's about? Are also, you kidding me? Let me argue this too. Uh-huh. I think that if you're going to cast this, I mean, here's what here's what could potentially be interesting in in the scenario that you're outlining. Yes. What could, what's potentially interesting is a character that's living in the gray. That is doing something really uh, disturbing, but for reasons that are sympathetic, perhaps. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And with that, there's some interesting there's some interesting content if you treat it properly. But I do think you have to also cast it properly. And I think that casting somebody who is who we all know is in a teenager right. by looking at them, and even reads older is is going to only throw things in the further direction of not being able to empathize with this character. And so, just cast somebody who's actually a teenager, reads like a teen, you know, reads as a teenager, and you know, leave it at that. Well, I think you've isolated the fundamental flaw of the movie, which right. is that you know, if this is a child that we know we are watching who is making this terrible mistake, perhaps we would be more inclined toward empathy and forgiveness but since he not only looks like but but essentially reads the whole time as a as a man as a grown man man. um it's it's kind of harder to do that 
but I, you know, I just don't think the movie's a total wash. But, but Corey um, still likes no, it. No, I don't. I, you know, I've got issues with it. I mean, obviously these are these are foremost among them, but I don't think it's like a fiasco um, because there are some other really sensitive and well-observed performances in there. Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart plays the the romantic interest in this. She's really good. She's always good. She's always good. Um, Julianne Moore is Evan Hansen's mom. She gets I a, saw that. a standout scene at the end. I mean, she's Julianne Moore. That's why you you, you cast right. her. She you doesn't have to in. do this, though. She could do something else. You, you sure wish she wa- would. And, of course, Amy Adams, the patron saint at this moment of, why did you make this decision? Yeah, this keeps coming up for, for her. Um, she's the Still mom. Still love you, boo. Still love you, Yeah, boo. but come on. I know. F- figure it out, Amy. I know. Uh, but she's the mom of the um, of the the character who who kills himself, um, who kind of takes Evan in a bit as a, a surrogate son in some weird way. Um, and she's she's okay, you know. She's Amy Adams. You 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 ask for somebody to be professional, and well, she's been worse, and she's been worse this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, so look, it's a mixed bag. It's not a completely successful picture. It is ultimately, for me, not a particularly good one. But right. I, I, I do think that the critical response to this has been to kind of roundly dismiss it. And I think there's more, you know, there are worthy things to talk about in this thing right. that make it, you know, that shouldn't just be roundly dismissed the way it has been. So that's my tepid, semi-defensive gotcha. Dear Evan Hansen, though, again, I'm not going to die on that hill. I do want to also mention one more thing. Um, uh, I've been watching, and I'm almost done with, a limited uh, series on Netflix called Midnight Mass. Yeah, um, I've seen that trying to be rammed down my throat. Yeah, directed by Mike Flanagan, who is a really – compelling and interesting emerging horror filmmaker, the director of Oculus, uh, a really great slasher movie called Hush, and um, a few years ago, the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep. Um, he, he also is probably best known at this point for the Haunting of Hill House Netflix series. Um, and Midnight Mass might be my favorite work of his today. Oh, cool. Uh, I love it. I think it is. it captures that classic Stephen King vibe yeah. of an isolated small town, dark secrets coming to the surface and um, a a supernatural threat that I will be very vague about uh, descending upon the residents of this town. It's also um, a story as the title implies that's very um, philosophical about the nature of religion and religious yeah. belief. Um, the main character is uh, a young man coming back to his hometown after a a tragedy has sort of derailed his life. Uh, And he comes back around the same time as a charismatic young priest sort of um, gains a foothold and and holds sway over the fellow residents of this town. It has a lot of secrets and it has a lot in common with – at least one very particular Stephen King work that to, to say more about would be a spoiler. Okay. But needless to say, if you're into horror and if you're into episodic television, this is, you know, one of the better uh, episodic horror TV pieces I've seen in a while. I think I like it more than either of the haunting series that uh, Flanagan did. Um, and I think I like it more than his movies. He's, he's a really interesting director who has done a lot of stuff that I appreciate. 
And with Midnight Mass, I think he's finally taken that big next step um, and and made something that I think is is worthy of his talent. So highly, highly recommended. I've got one more episode, um, so it could completely go off the rails, I suppose. But I don't think it will because the, the first six have been so uh, self-assured. It is only seven episodes long, too, so that's a that's a nice doable. Benefit. Yeah. Well, um, I've been to the cinema. Nice to see the Nowhere Inn. Yeah, I, I'm gonna miss it. I can't go to yeah. the last showing tomorrow, so I'm gonna have to VOD it at some point. Well, I really like it. Nice. Yeah, it's um, it's very divisive. A lot of people rolling their eyes. A lot of people. I've heard a few people walking out. Uh, my girlfriend wanted me to see it. She absolutely hates this thing. Oh boy. Yeah, she couldn't stand it. And I, I, I kind of like it. It is in the spirit of a stop making sense. Mm-hmm. Your, your friends with stop making sense, uh, which makes sense yeah. because you know Saint Vincent, David Byrne. You know, it's um, there's, there's they're, they're buds. connectivity they're there. Buds. And you know, I mean, how you knew I was going to like this for at the very least. You've seen the trailer, I assume. Yeah, Dakota Johnson's in it. Dakota. Not only is Dakota Johnson in it, but she's in it in some lingerie, and it's <laughs> you know, it's all very lovely. Um, and you know, she plays she plays uh, Saint Vincent's girlfriend. In it, okay. and so it's a anyway. It's it. The beginning of the film is sort of very comedic and and sh- shocker. A little bit like an episode of Portlandia, because Carrie Brownstein's in yeah. it too, right? Yes, she is. Yeah. They they are they play best friends, uh, and then it gets very dark about halfway through. So I I foolishly kind of thought this was a a documentary or at least part partially documentary. It is in some ways it is uh-huh. because it is very much a you know. Fact and fiction blurring the lines. I, I mean, see. it's clearly way more narrative than it is factual, but it hits on some things. It hits on the trappings of fame, yeah. of the the push to have a public, you know, to to have a pr- particular public persona or as an, you know, people who are, you know, sort of have a particular presence as an artist, and, and that doesn't necessarily translate into their personal life. And to try to to sort of resurrect that personally can be very damaging for folks in their relationships. That all comes up. And I think that there's some, I think that's part of what I enjoyed about it is trying to parse out exactly where some origins of truth are for St. Vincent and where it's just complete fodder. And it it is hard to tell. I do think that there's some, there are clearly some moments of, um, you know, of, of truth in this thing, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's fairly silly. Um, and, and can at some points really, really incredibly experimental, uh, all things that I like from the yeah. music doc, I appreciate pushing the, pushing the lines. It, I get that it, at times it tries too hard. Um, but you know, here's the thing I love about it. There's some concert footage in it. There's some performance. Part of what I love about uh, a, a music documentary is that oftentimes when, when a music documentary takes a similar, takes this kind of approach of, you know, not presenting a complete, just straight up, you know, nonfiction account, not just presenting it, you know, an account of being on the road, not just presenting concert footage, but it actually looks to be a little branded. It looks to do some, you know, other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very niche avenue of, of music doc genre. But when that happens, there are in the con- in the confines of the 90 minutes or so or two hours or whatever the film might be you're going to have at least some stuff that feels really special and interesting. Yeah. Even some stuff that feels special and interesting, but maybe you don't like 
right? And there are a few of these. There's a there's a sort of country western section where St. Vincent takes, you know, Carrie back to her house where her family is from and introduces her to mom and dad, which, I mean, Carrie pretty quickly goes, this is not your family. This is just, you're saying that this is, but it's very stylized in this way that you feel very much like you're on a theatrical stage and there's mm. a musical performance and it's, I don't know, not necessarily likable is a song, but there's something about that sequence that really stood out to me and that I enjoy and that's very mean-spirited fun. So those kind of things, I could li- I could dislike 20 minutes of it and like five minutes here and five minutes there, and that's just fine, in my opinion. This sounds very strange. It is very odd. I think part of my, my comment, or part of my criticism, I should say, is that at times it's odd for the sake of being odd. Yeah. And I find that annoying. Mm-hmm. But there are some scenes, too, that that do, when they, when they come through and they catch a particular tone, I really appreciate it. So there's a, a moment where, and I think this might be in the trailer, where Carrie leaves a note and lipstick on a mirror. It's a very dramatic thing. And it sort of is written in an outline that when St. Vincent walks up, her her you know, her presence fills the outline of the shape that, uh, you know, is in the center of what Carrie's written. Mm -hmm. And there's some dramatic music and it's a very, it's very much, um, you know, a a sort of moment of uh, where they've parted ways Yeah, and seeing, you know, St. Vincent's reaction, who I would argue, I think she's at least good at at emoting. Mm -hmm. So there is some fun, there's some fun moments like that where you, it feels way more dramatic, just has this sort of moment of of drama that is well shot fun to watch and just leaves you in this moment of tone that's really heavy. And I, and I do like that kind of stuff a lot. And, and I would say the other sort of thread through here is it is a bit about, you know, two people who are in a similar industry trying to have a friendship, collaborate and remain friends at, through, through an evolution of, of failures mm-hmm. and accomplishments that don't necessarily always align. And there, I, I felt like that was that part of it too, even though it's a minor thread. Even it, it's a, a significant part of the narrative, but the truth, the truth in it is a minor thread. I thought that stuff was really interesting. Nice. I think that if diving into into those kind of things, if it had done that more, you know, maybe it it would have been a more interesting film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. That sounds kind of interesting um, and kind of honestly like it's all over the place. It's a bit um, all over the place. But, I, you know, I, I, I am curious enough to check it out. I, I really regret having missed it at the cinema, um, uh, but but I'll try to catch up with it on VOD at some point. Yeah. We're, we're entering the uh, really crazy uh, time of year for movie releases because it seems like every weekend there are going to be like three or four movies that I want to see being made available to one degree or another. Um, and um, this one slipped through the cracks, but hopefully well, not for too much longer. You know? Yeah. And you can watch it casually. Yeah. So that's one good thing. Like I'm happy I saw it in the cinema for the mo- some of the moments I'm describing uh-huh. it's just aesthetically. But if you don't catch it in the cinema, you're okay. Yeah. You've got that nice big 4K TV. And oh, it's so nice. You'll enjoy watching it on that. Oh, it's so nice. So yeah, that's what I've been watching. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic George Clooney and Russell Crowe. Both really talented gentlemen. Um, Gentleman's a funny word Uh to use for Uh Russell Crowe, even though I would say uh, Clooney is the quintessential gentleman. Um, But, you know, Russell Crowe has become just an absolute beast, almost a character, sort of characterization of himself. But here's where the two connect, other than the fact that, yes, they are both 
they are both quote-unquote gentleman actors um, who are pretty good at their jobs. Yeah, uh, is that at one point in time Russell Crowe just out of nowhere said in an interview. I don't do ads, and I'm not going to try to do Crow's voice because that would just be ridiculous. He said, I don't do ads uh, for suits in Spain like Clo- like Clooney or cigarettes in Japan like Harrison Ford. What Now, why in the hell he decided to sort of stab like that, I don't know. But that's what he did, and Clooney's response was just sort of, there was no point to that. Well, that's funny that you that that uh, that he said that because I bet he would do those things now. Um, <laughs> also, funny that you also bring up Harrison Ford doing cigarette ads in Japan. Did you know that the rumor is that the the Bill Murray character in Lost in Translation is based on Harrison? Ford? I did not know that. That's yeah. a nice little piece of trivia to drop at the end, and and this is the reason why you should listen through the end the end segment here. Uh, when sometimes we, <laughs> when, when we say out, no, we always have something. There's always something. We always give you a little sneaky something. It may be something you don't want to know about somebody like Justin Bieber, but you're always going to get a little something. Always a little something. Anyway, thanks to Batwell Studios. Man, we appreciate you so much. Thanks to Revelator Coffee, our sponsor. If you're interested in sponsoring, you can email us at podcast at sidewalkfest.com or really any other email that's at sidewalkfest because we thirsty. (laughs) Uh, I'm thirsty for some of that uh, iced coffee I always get at Revelator. Totally. This is the care that we... uh, give to our sponsors, by the way, because I genuinely love their coffee. We basically take the money you give us and we spend it in your establishment or via your services. I mean, honestly, not too far <laughs> from the truth because I go to Revelator a lot. You get a lot for your buck. You certainly do. Um, SidewalkFest.com and at Sidewalk Film on social media like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram um, that's where you can find information about what's playing at the Sidewalk Cinema. The month of October is stacked. It is stacked up oh, from the backup. Uh, Titan playing, um, uh, opening on October 1st, playing, I think, for two weeks. Uh, Lamb, uh, the A24 horror movie, opening on October 8th, playing, I think, for two weeks. And then a trio of classic horror. Halloween, 1978. A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984? I believe that. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And The Craft from 1996. Six or seven, something like Six, that. Six, I believe. Um, that's a triple threat. I, You know, and as I've said on this podcast before, I've never seen The Craft. I'm going to see it on the big screen at Sidewalk. I'm so excited to hear what you think. I, I do not think you're going to five-minute fight that with me. No, I think you're going to really dig it. damn enjoy it. Yeah, I'm probably going to dig it. It's witches. I love witches. Uh, I love horror movies and witches and witchery and Who witchcraft. Doesn't? I mean, there's it's just all all the stuff I like. Um, and Feruza Balk. I mean, come on. Who doesn't love Feruza Balk? Um, so anyway, thank you so much for listening. Did I mention Nev Campbell? You didn't, but you didn't have to. Thank you for listening. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.